We begin a new series today called Scriptural Life. Uh, the, the thought of the series kind of came uh, back in early November when my wife and I had the opportunity for the first time in uh, all these years of ministry to actually go to the Holy Land and spend two weeks from November 1st through about, I think it was almost two weeks to do the 13th, uh, in the Holy Land with a, a group from this area. Uh, had a great time there. And uh, in the middle of the, of the, about the first, end of the first week of us being there, my wife had been doing something online. She's a real big on putting, posting Facebook things. Uh, there's people all the time wanting to be my friend on Facebook. I do have a Facebook account. That's about it. Um, I really don't put much on there because the three times I've put something on there, which I thought was totally non-controversial, nobody from here said anything, but uh, one of my relatives from back on the East Coast, who's incredibly uh, liberal, uh, had some issues with what I said. And I'm going like, really? I just don't need this drama in my life. And so I just quit posting stuff. So that's kind of what I did. I may do it in the future. I, I defriended that person, by the way. And uh, I'm going like, it should, should be encouraging, not, you know, you know, having a debate online about, you know, jot and tittles. I don't know what it was. But anyway, mm, <clears throat> dried out this morning. Uh, my wife, though, she puts a lot of things on Facebook. And, and she does to kind of keep in contact with our, our family on the East Coast and our kids that are in two different locations in Fort Wayne and also over in, uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, so we have a lot of give and take there. But when she was in Israel, she decided she was going to do this. She also takes good pictures. I take horrible pictures. She takes good pictures. And so while we're in Israel, she took lots of pictures. And then she, every day on our bus, our tour bus, they actually, it had, actually had Wi-Fi on the bus. She would actually uh, write stuff as we went from place to place and post at least twice a day, sometimes three times a day, post from the, from the Holy Land. And, and, and we'd go to a location, uh, we would get some teaching there, or we'd have you know, some scripture that really tied into it. And so she would post that, post some things about that. And during that two weeks of, um, of, uh, in Israel, my wife gained about 150 new friends uh, on Facebook. And uh, people kept wanting to hear about it. They, they were doing all this kind of thing. So uh, she said, you know, it might be good that you actually preach about this stuff. And so I said, okay, honey, I'll do that. I'm a good husband. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm going to do a series for this, this month and next month called Scripture Life. But really the, the deal is this. is when I've been teaching uh, for now for 36 years in ministry. And as I've gone through ministry, I studied the Bible every day. Uh, I went to seminary and, and intensely studied the Bible. And you would think that I would know it all by now, don't you? Well, the reality is no. You know, I don't think anybody knows everything there is about the Bible. But something happened to me when I went to Israel. I've got a new, fresh perspective on a lot of things that are in Scripture because of the cultural context of Scripture, scripture and also just, just being in a place where a lot of the things took place. I hope that in the future, some of you guys, if you've never had a chance to go, uh, we're thinking about, I had bunches of people ask me, are we going to take a trip? And I said, well, if we get enough people together, we'll do it. And so uh, if you're interested during the series, I'll have some sign-up things. That doesn't mean you're committing to it, but you're interested in knowing more about it. Possibly next year, maybe, uh, take a trip over there with a group from the church. It'd be great to got to go together and do some, some of the same things that I did with the group that I went with. And we'll be doing that. But as I went along on the trip, uh, basically as I went to different locations, uh, things came alive to me in a way that had not been alive in a long time. And so what I will be sharing over the next several weeks is, is um, some of those, some of those um, things that happened there. And it'll always be tied in with a location. I'll share a little bit of historical background to that, a little bit different than what I normally do, a little more, some pictures. Um, 
And, uh, and also, then I'll be looking at some scripture that God kind of brought to life uh, to me. All of them are teachings of Jesus that came to life to me during this series, uh, during this time over there. Uh, we, we've encountered some other things too, but I just don't have time to cover them all. So this morning, I want to kind of look at a place that one of the places that really was impactful for me early on in the trip, and that was a place in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a really interesting city because it's kind of a chaotic place to me. It's on a hill, hill there. It's kind of surrounded. It's kind of, it's a crazy place. You don't know where you're going from one place to another, but there's actually a part of, the, of Jerusalem called the Old City. And the Old City is, is interesting because uh, some of the stuff there, when they say Old City and New City, New City is not new, by the way. New City means only a thousand years old. Uh, old City is 2,000 to 3,000 years old, you know? And stuff like that. It's like a different perspective over in the Holy Land. You know, it's kind of a different deal. I mean, we think that a song is an old song if it's been out more than, uh, what, five years? In contemporary music nowadays? Well, that doesn't even begin to talk about what ancient is over there. So this morning I'm going to be talking about uh, the experiences and sharing a little bit about the experiences that happened over in, uh, in Jerusalem. But particularly in one place in particular that we got to at the beginning of Sabbath. And that's the Wailing Wall. The Western Wall, it's called, or also in, in, in Hebrew, it's called the Ketel. And I can't do the whole, the whole name, it's too long, it's just crazy. But uh, we usually call it the Whaling Wall. And let me share with some pictures of that and talk about it a little bit. Then I want to tell you what I learned and what came out of there and what came to my mind as, as I was there at the Whaling Wall in Jerusalem. Now let me, let me give you some pictures. I got about a dozen pictures this morning we'll look at. The first one, this is a view of Jerusalem. This is all Jerusalem here in the background here. Uh, and the foreground here is actually a bunch of burial, uh, burial places here on the hillside. But we were looking from the Mount of Olives over toward, uh, over toward the city of Jerusalem. Uh, this area right here and this area right here, this, this wall right here and this little square, this is called uh, the Temple Mount. And this is where the, the, the original temples of Solomon, uh, are the temples that were built and destroyed a couple, two or three times, was there. Let's go to the next slide, a little closer view. This kind of gives you a better view a little closer up. Now, it's interesting now, because of the different conflicting uh, religious groups there, Jerusalem uh, is actually divided into four quarters. Uh, they have a, a Jewish quarter, a, uh, a Muslim quarter, a Christian quarter, and an Armenian quarter. And, uh, but part of that, and that's all, that's all back in here, in this area over here. Uh, and there's actually a wall along here you can't really tell because it's all built up. But this, once again, right here, this, this large area is the Temple Mount, and that's called the Dome of the Rock right there, and uh, that's actually a lot of Muslim things are there. There's a, there's a real, like I said, it's still, there's battles all the time, uh, not major battles, but there's, there's kind of political battles all the time for, for territory uh, in there as well, and uh, this is important to, to, to uh, Jewish people. Uh, and, to, and to Muslims as well, as well as Christians as well, because of some things that happened there. Uh, let's go to the next slide. A little bit closer view. This shows the Temple Mount from a different perspective. And this wall right here, uh, you can all see my little pointer here, isn't that cool? Um, this is called the Western Wall, this whole thing from way up here, all the way down through here. But this little place right here is what we call the Whaling Wall. This, this small area, it's about a 200-foot area of this wall, of a 1,600-foot-long wall. And this is where people come, the Jewish people come to pray. Now, anybody can go there to pray, but Jewish people, it's a very sacred place. Let's go to the next slide. Uh, this kind of gives you an overview of the old city. And uh, like I said, here's the Temple Mount right here. This is, the Whaling, this is the Whaling Wall, that little place right there. This is the Muslim Quarter. 
the Christian quarter, the Jewish quarter, and the Armenian quarter right here. That's huge, huge area, and it's just like compacted with buildings and things like that as well, so that's kind of where we were. That's just a small part of the overall Jerusalem. Okay, let's go to the next slide. Uh, this kind of gives a little, bit, a little bit closer image of the Wailing Wall. We got there, like I said, on Friday at sundown. That's the beginning of their, their Sabbath, or Shabbat, is they, what they call it. And so at that time, we've been going around saying shalom to everybody up to that point. And at that point, till, till, till uh, sundown on Saturday, you have to go around and say Shabbat Shalom. And uh, that was Holy Sabbath or, you know, peace for you or whatever. And this right here is where people come. Now, ladies, I will tell you something. And I didn't really show this here very well. Uh, if you had a close-up here, you will see, and you'll see some close-up pictures. These are all men. I think there's over here to this area over here, there's a little tiny portion of the wall that women can go to. That's their cultural context. That's what you could do, okay? So if you do go, ladies, you can go to the Whaling Wall, but you'll be somewhere over here off the screen. And, uh, and that's, where, that's where you'll be. Okay, uh, next slide. This shows a little closer up of that as well. You know, once again, you said all men. Over here, this little place over here, it looks like a tunnel. It is a tunnel. It's called Wilson's Tunnel. It's a place where it was discovered by this a British archaeologist a long time ago when they were uh, removing parts and stuff around it. This whole area of the Welling Wall was not used or able to be used by the Jewish people until 1967 when the, the Six-Day War happened and it was opened up again and they took out a lot of stuff there and made this place where they can come and pray. Now you're asking, what's the big deal about this place to come and pray? Well, the issue is this, is they believe this Western Wall is the closest proximity that the Jewish people can get to the, what used to be the original temple site. And then on the original temple site, there was a place called the Holy of Holies that people could go to. And they believed that God's presence dwelt there. Okay? If you read scripture in the Old Testament, you'll see that. And God's uh, presence. And they believe even though the temple mount and, and the temple uh, as it was is not there. Because this wall is not the temple. This was just a wall, a retaining wall, believe it or not, around the temple, temple mount. Uh, they believe that you can go there. And so this is actually the closest place that the Jewish people can get to, to the Holy of Holies. To pray. And that's why it's become a hugely popular place uh, for, for, for uh, Jewish people to go and pray and pe people from all over the world. There's, there's pictures there of people, presidents, the United States presidents going there and praying, popes going there and praying, movie stars going there and praying, all kind of different people. But when we got there that day, uh, it, was, it was the beginning of Sabbath and it was like five times as many people there uh, at, uh, at this place. Okay, next slide. Uh, this shows some people up there, some of the uh, uh, Orthodox Jews. Uh, they all wear, and, and you see this guy here, it like, looks, looks like a little, uh, I don't know what you call them. They're long, long things there. Their hair actually grows out. Some of them, there's different sects of Jewish, S-E-C-T-S, of Jewish group people who have different things. Some of them have different, different clothing styles and whatever, and they, they have variations of this, but they go and they have prayer books and they'll read them and they'll do that. The day that we were there, it was raining incredibly hard. This is a picture somebody else took. A day we, it was raining incredibly hard, so we, this, this tunnel back in here uh, was filled up. This is huge, a huge, like it's as big, it's as three times as big as this room. And uh, the people were back there, uh, most of the Jewish Orthodox guys were back there praying. And let me tell you, if, if you could imagine a thousand people all praying at the same time out loud and trying to outdo one another in our lobby with the acoustics in there. That's what it was like when I was at the Wailing Wall, okay? It was chaotic. 
It was crazy, but that's kind of what the deal is. But let me tell you something. These people are very devout by coming to the wall. Um, next picture. Um, they got, no, here's one of the guys with a different hairstyle there. He's got the, the long things that uh, supposedly is one of the, 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 he belongs to that. His hairdo, uh, the, the uh, rabbi that heads up their group decides what hairstyle, what, I mean not hairstyle, what hat they're going to wear. And uh, they all wear those hats if they're in that group. Uh, kind of interesting thing. Okay, uh, let's go to the next one. Uh, here's some more closer up the wall. You see how rough the stones are. These are humongous stones that are laid together without mortar. Uh, they're put, they're stacked together. I mean, it's incredible uh, how they put these together. And you'll see a lot of things like this in the in the stones here. It looks like little pieces of paper. Well, it is. Give a close up. Next next slide. Uh, what happens there is that people that go to pray there at the Wailing Wall, as high as you can reach, there'll be little pieces of paper that's been folded up with prayers written on them, stuffed into the wall. It's believed that if you put a prayer there and, and you pray over it and you stuff it in the wall, it continues to have power or something. I don't know exactly the whole deal of that, but it's kind of a thing. There's so many of those that they have to continually ha clean those out uh, and, and every couple of weeks, believe it or not, and start all over again because there's so many of that going on there at the Whaling Wall. So if you ever go to the Whaling Wall and you want to leave a prayer there, you can fold it up, stick it in a crevice, and there's, it's a huge place, and do it that way. Next slide. Even the little, little kids are taught to go there, and this is a class uh, that was there, uh, a bunch of little kids that were there uh, that were doing their um, little boys, obviously, okay, that were there learning to pray, and, uh, and they all have their little prayer books, and they all were reciting the same thing and uh, going through that. But the people are very devout about this. It kind of shows, too, last slide, last slide. Uh, here's a guy, this wasn't taken by us. It didn't snow while we were there. <laughs> but uh, the people will go and pray there no matter what the weather is. I mean, the, the very devout ones. And they go there and they have a very sincere uh, desire to pray, but they come to this place because they believe that location is important. And they believe that being close to the Holy of Holies makes their prayers more more um, uh, powerful and, and whatever. So that's, that's kind of the experience that I had there at the Wailing Wall. Now, what, what came to mind when I was there, and this happened almost every place I went to almost immediately, was, was Scripture. Uh, the cultural context of this kind of led me to think about Scripture. And the Scripture that came to mind when I was here was a Scripture about Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6 on prayer. Because Jesus... Uh, it was interesting because Jesus, uh, his disciples were with him, and, and, and they had they'd grown up good, devout Jew, Jewish boys, most of them, and, and, and they, were, they had learned, learned how to pray. They'd, they'd been in prayer that probably by rabbis and other people had taught them how to pray. It was a part of the culture, not just a part of the religion. And they'd done that. But the one thing they asked Jesus to uh, teach them to do in Matthew 6, when they had everything else they could have asked him, they asked, said, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray because your prayers do not look like the prayers or seem like the prayers that everybody else prays. There's an intimacy. There's a connection. There's a closeness there uh, in that, uh, to your prayers. And so what happened was, is he teaches them and teaches them about uh, prayer. And, and when I was there at the Wailing Wall and seeing all this stuff going on and this chaos going on, and it was very devout things going on, but the chaos that was going on, it reminded me uh, about prayer because so often I think even in America we have confusion about what prayer really is for so often we simply think that we have to have the right words or we can't pray or we have to pray about stuff it's all about stuff about a laundry list of stuff to do and sometimes we come to a place in our life 
And we simply cannot, and I found this to be true in my life, I want to pray about something, but I don't even have the words to pray. But you know, the good news is is the Bible tells us in a real sense that when we become believers in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And it says this in Romans 8, 26, in the same way, the Spirit also comes to help us weak as we are, for we do not know how we ought to pray. And when we don't do, we don't know how, how to pray. Guess what? It doesn't matter. The Spirit himself pleads with God for us and groans in words that uh, that cannot express. And the reality is, is that prayer is a connection with God. And we want to talk about that today because truly I think that there's times, and, the, and the, what I entitled the message today was, uh, in, a, in a sense, is there's times when our prayers are not pleasing to God because we're not praying for the right purpose or the right thing. Because Jesus told that, tells us that in Matthew 6. There's ways to pray that are right and helpful, and there's praise, ways to pray that are not helpful at all. And so I want to talk about about that, because as clear as the Bible's teachings and instruction is on prayer, I think it's also clear that misusing prayer has been happening for as long as prayer has existed. Now, I was thinking about this in the cultural context that we live live in, because we don't live in in Israel. It's a very different culture. I mean, I love their food. Man, I love their food while I was there. Those of you who've been over there, I don't know if you like Mediterranean diet, but it was great food. I could live there and eat the food. But the, the rest of the culture was kind of chaotic to me. It was kind of crazy all the ritualistic things that were going on. But I'm going, I don't live there. I live in America. And, and, and I ask myself the question, what, when is it that we, what do we do? What do I do when I pray sometimes that's not pleasing to God? And so I thought of three things that came to my mind I want to start off with before I get into, into the scripture this morning. The first one is this. I think so often in time, our prayer may not be pleasing to God when we pray to avoid doing. We pray to avoid doing. Let me ask you a question. When you pray and you ask for God's will, do you believe that he's going to give you an answer? Yes? No? I don't know? Let's be honest. I believe that when we pray and we, and we pray the way God wants us to pray, he's going to reveal himself to us. Now, it may not be written on a written page. It may not be a finger on the wall with writing like he did the Old Testament. But the reality is God, he will answer our prayers. But the problem is when we receive it, we're to act upon that prayer. We're not simply to, how do you know if the prayer is, is really, does it, does, it, does it align with Scripture? Is it true? Yes, it's aligned with Scripture. As opposed to Scripture, I can tell you the prayer is not a, a prayer or the answer is not the, the answer that, that we need. But the thing is, is it aligns with Scripture. So often we, we try to change God's mind with our prayers. We try to pray, continue to pray because in a sense we don't like the answer that God gave us. And so what are we doing? We're stalling. Prayer becomes a stalling thing so we don't have to do the thing that we know we need to do. Now, don't let you raise your hands, but how many of us just think about it. In our lives, if we prayed about something, God give us a clear answer, and we just don't want to do it. Because it's not easy. And that happens so often in our life. Just, and the, the thing that I first have to ask is, does prayer lead us to love God and love people more? Or do we simply pray to avoid doing things? The second thing I thought about, that in our culture, and this is something that I saw growing up in churches. Um, I don't know, how many of you grew up in a church? Anybody grew up in a church here? I don't mean you literally grew up in the church, you know what I'm saying, but you know, you grew up and you, ha- you were part of a church and you went to Sunday school or you went to a group, you ever gone to a prayer meeting? You ever gone to a, I went to Baptist prayer meetings, they're the holiest of all. <laughs> Not really, okay? And in a prayer meeting, what do you, what do, you do? 
You pray. We used to call them organ recitals. You know what we called them organ recitals? Because we prayed about everybody's broken organs. Their knees, their liver, you know, whatever it is. It seemed to be all we ever prayed about in our prayer groups was about, you know, Aunt Bessie's whatever problem is. It was all that. And the reality is so often what we would do and people would do in prayer groups is they would simply pray and, and, and they would really just bow their heads and gossip about people. Yeah, that happens. Because if you, because you bow your heads and pray about it, it's still gossip. When you're saying stuff about something that's not helpful to somebody else. Sometimes we need, to encourage, we need to lift somebody up in prayer, but they, people don't need to know the details of their life. James 3, he says, our tongues wagging in gossip because of this, a world of evil among the parts of the body. That's what he says. See, gossip disguised as prayer is harmful. See, God knows the names and the events of stuff. Others don't need to know them. Simply seek God. And so the thing is, sometimes we've allowed prayer to become a time where we can just, just say anything we want to because we're praying. Now, the third thing I want to spend a little time on the day is the last one. This has really came to my attention, not only at the Welling Wall, but it comes to my attention in our culture today, and it really drove me to my knees in regard to some things about prayer, is the third time that sometimes prayer is wrong, and it's not the prayer that, uh, that honors God, is when we pray to get attention. We pray to get attention. Now, for all of you who raised your hand, you grew up in church, if you grew up in a more traditional church than Great Oaks, which is probably most of you, including me, you probably had corporate prayers and worship, right? Maybe, yeah, uh-huh. And sometimes those prayers, I'll, I remember growing up, and I had some guys I thought were tremendous prayers. Man, they could pray. And they always prayed in King James English. You ever had that? And they never talked that way in any other way in the world, but they prayed in King James English, like thou's and thou'st and all these, you know, these big words. Like those were the kind of words that really grabbed God. Um, God was up in heaven when they prayed, and, I, and I'm thinking they're thinking like, God's going, shh, shh, listen. But let me tell you something in Scripture, and we'll learn this from, from God's Word in just a moment here. Fancy words do not impress God. He made us and he already knows who we are and more words will make better prayers. God wants to hear our heart, not our entire vocabulary. And so growing up, I often thought, well, you know, when I pray, when I pray, I hear others pray like that. I feel like mine doesn't measure up. But then I read God's word, scripture. And then I read Matthew 6, and, and this is what Jesus, let's look at that for a few moments, begin with verse 8. Verse 8, he says this, Jesus teaches his disciples, these, these guys who were Jewish guys who grew up in church, at least Jewish churches, temple, and they knew about praying, but they knew something was different about Jesus. They said this in verse 5, he says, when you pray, Jesus, Jesus says this, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everybody can see them. I thought about the cultural context of that. Jesus was in Israel at the time. He was, I don't know if he was at the temple when he prayed that or, or where he was, but in the context of that, he says, when you pray, probably by the Sea of Galilee, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everybody can see them. And I asked myself the question when I first read this a long time ago, but again, when I read it a few weeks ago, I'm going like, why does Jesus start off by talking about the location of prayer? I mean, can't you pray anywhere? 
Can't you, can't you pray anywhere? I mean, can't you pray going on the way to school, praying, Lord, dear Lord, please help there not be a test today. Dear Lord, help there not be a test today. I mean, can't you pray there? Or can't you pray, you know, going down the road, you know, just driving on your way to work. Oh, my quiet time is in my car every day because I got 15 minutes between here. I mean, can you, can you not do that? Sure, you can do that. But according to what Jesus is going to be saying in this verse, it's not very effective. It's not the purpose of prayer. Because you can ask for stuff going down the road. Let me ask you this. Do you have very meaningful conversations just going down the road haphazardly with your spouse? Probably not. But so often the reality is Jesus is saying, he says, first of all, he says, the location matters. And then he says this, he says, okay, if you're doing that, if you're praying publicly on street corners, in a synagogue where everybody can see you so you'll get attention and people will know that you're spiritual, he says this, I tell you the truth, next verse, I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. You're going like, okay, what does that mean? It means that's all the reward they'll ever get. Yeah, they got seen. People know they're doing that. If that's what they're doing it for, God's not, that's, that's the end of the prayer. It doesn't get much higher than this. And so in verse 6, he begins to teach his disciples, okay, don't do it this way. This is what you do. When you, followers of Christ, if you want to pray correctly, if you want to get the most out of prayer, he says this, but when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Why is the location so important? It's, is one spot holy? Is the place at the is the wailing wall more holy than your living room? No. Is this building more holy? No, there's no place because it's about what? Jesus is telling us the key to understanding the main purpose of prayer is this. When you pray, I want you to get by yourself and I want you to do something that only you can only do in a place where you're by yourself with God. I want you to focus on God. Now, Jesus talks about a room here, but you know, it's not just about a specific room in your house or place. It's a place to get alone with God so you can focus your attention. If you really want to have a relationship and have a conversation with your spouse, is there places that's better to get away to than other places? Is it st- sitting in front of the TV this afternoon watching the Super Bowl, eating junk food? Is that the best place to have a meaningful conversation with your spouse? Come on, folks, you know the answer to that. No! The reality is that sometimes we have to, if you want to have, I've been married 36 years. It's not been 36 perfect years, it's been 36 good years, okay? And, but I find myself, I, my wife now, we, we're empty nesters, and we don't have anybody, that means we don't have anybody else there, okay? Just us. And so the deal is this, the deal is this, we live in the same house, we don't have a very big house, we have a nice house, a small house, we live in the same house, well we can live in the same house, and so my wife uh, subs in school, she tutors every day after school, I come in, she's tutoring kids, you know, I'm going, Ollie, who are all these kids in my house? But anyway, they go home, thank goodness, and, and, then, and, then, they, and then we have din- dinner, and then we, you know, then we're exhausted, and we live in the same house, in the same proximity, but sometimes we find ourselves not being very close to one another. 
And at those times, my wife will usually be the one to look at me first. I'm just not as smart as she is in that regard to this relational thing. And she'll say, honey, we need to talk. It doesn't mean anything bad. It simply means we get away. We need to do something. So we'll go to a coffee shop. Neither one of us drink coffee anymore. But it's the environment. Or we'll go to some place and we'll go hiking or someplace if it's, if it's nice weather. And we'll do that kind of thing where we can just be alone and, and, and just talk. And that's what Jesus is saying here. See, he says, when you pray, go by yourself. Shut the door behind you. Pray to your Father in private. What's he saying? He's saying it's about it, the purpose of what he's saying here about prayer is about building a relationship with God. So I would challenge you to think about it. Where is the place that you can have quietness and focus all of your attention upon your relationship with God? When I lived in Virginia, I lived 15 minutes from the Appalachian Trail. I love to hike on the Appalachian Trail. I miss the Appalachian Trail. I'll just be honest with you. And I would go up there sometimes during the week, and there's not as many people up there, and I'd just hike by myself. And then I'd find a place, I'd have some places up there, it was, rock, it was a rock formation, and you're sitting there and you're looking down on a huge valley way down below you, it's huge, it was beautiful, and I would sit there, and that was the best place for me to really get along with God. Now, I couldn't do that every day, but I did it periodically. But at home, even when our kids were living there, there was times that I found a place, either at the house or somewhere else, and it was different places, different times of life, where I could get alone with God. Where is that place for you? Where is that place for you? Do you have a place? Because that's what Jesus is saying. He says, you need to have a place like that because while you can just pray going down the road, driving your car, with a TV on, with a radio blasting, whatever, that, that is not the purpose of prayer. You can ask, you can ask your to-do list, but that's not the most important thing about prayer either. He said, there needs to be a time when you have this connection with God and it only comes when you go into your room and close the door, whatever that means. Because Jesus is talking about something beyond prayer being something about give me, give me, give me, bless me, bless me, bless me. That's not what prayer is all about. Because the very next verse says it. The very next verse says this. It says after you do that, he says, then, when you get along with God, when you have a connection with God, when you get with him, then your father who sees everything will reward you. And you're going like, What? But then you're going, oh, that sounds good. My problem has been as I've been trying to do it everywhere. I've been doing my to-do list everywhere I go, everywhere. So I just need to go into my house, find a room, sit down, and ask God for everything I want. No, you missed the point. We'll talk about this some more in a minute. It's not that kind of reward. Because he goes on and he says in verse 7, he says, When you pray then, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Like, you can nag God to death to get what he wants. Get what you want, I mean. That's not what it's saying. That's not what prayer is. It's about a relationship. And nothing came to light more, like I said, and, and, and I want to bring it into our culture, but when I went to the Whaling Wall, and I was there in, in, in Wilson's Tunnel, or Wilson's Arch is what it's called, and it was rainy outside, so everybody was cram-packed in there, and it was chaotic, and everybody was, it was like, there's one guy over here, I mean, it was not one guy, it was like 30 guys over here, and they were doing this thing right there, and what they do in their culture, and they pray, and they're reading their books, and they're saying, and I don't know Hebrew, but, but I could understand, they were saying the same thing over, and over, and over, and over, and over again. And I'm going like, really? 
Then I thought, how does that relate to who we are? And I'm going like, you know, I grew up in churches. And sometimes the only prayers we pray, sometimes we pray the kind of formula prayers. We pray the same things. How many, how many, don't raise your hand. How many, like at dinner, you just kind of like a standard prayer you pray. God bless this food, you know, whatever. Or when your kids were young, you had a prayer that they all prayed. We have four and a six-year-old grandsons in, in, uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee. And every time we go there, it's real cute for four and six-year-olds. Real cute for four and six-year-olds to do this, you know? And they get up behind their chair. They, they, go, to this, uh, they go to this Christian uh, daycare. And um, now my six, the six-year-old's in school now. But, but when they were there, they would stand behind their chairs and do this little sing-songy uh, meal prayer. And then at night, um, when we, had our, we have our prayers together with them, and the whole family get together, and my, my daughter and her husband and, 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 uh, and the two kids and, and grandma and grandpa, and we get together, and the kids always prayed the same prayer every night. Now, that's great for four- and six-year-olds because that's kind of how they learn to pray. But hopefully we mature beyond that because the reason they do it is because that's the only thing they know what to do. But later on, I hope they get to the place where they can build a relationship with God. They can learn to talk to God like he's, their, like he's the God of the, of the universe and the creator. And they can do some things and have a different type of prayer life. And he says, and it's the same thing we do in our culture as well. We repeat words over and over again thinking that God's, that's all prayer is. It's just this ritualistic type thing over and over. And then, the, then he kind of ends this, Jesus ends this little teaching before he goes into teaching the Lord's Prayer. He says in verse 8, he says, don't be like them, these people that repeat words over and over again. For your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Now, if you're alert and thinking, there's a question in your mind right here. And the question is this, that being true, that being true, why even pray? Really? I mean, why pray? If he already knows it all, why even pray? Because prayer is not about getting our to-do list done. Prayer, see, if you've asked that question, you're on the verge of understanding that while you spend some of your time pouring out your needs to God, there's something more, something more important. The most important thing in your life is not your job, it's not your family, it's not your finances, it's not your schedule. The most important thing in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, is your personal intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Because from that flows everything else. And the reason that we've been given the opportunity and the gift of prayer is not to convince God of stuff. It's not a good luck charm, it's not about bless me. That is not the main thing. That's only a small portion. The purpose is that God has invited you and me into an intimate relationship with him. And that can only happen when you and I go into our room and we get alone with God. Because the most important thing in our life is that personal relationship. And you know when you do that, what your reward is? Go back to that. When you have that relationship, when you have that thing, it's this. Your reward is this, that inner sense of peace that God is with you when he says yes and when he says no and when he says nothing. It's, 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 a, it's a trust and a, a fellowship that's, that's only born through that relationship of intimacy with God where we learn to trust him. And I'll tell you this, I, I think this is true of all of us. All of us have probably sat in church over the years and have felt guilty about things. 
I really ought to do that. I mean, people all the time going out the door on Sunday mornings and they're going like, I don't know if they're trying to make me feel good or what. You know, it does make me feel good, but uh, they'll simply say, Pastor, that was a great sermon. I was so convicted. And then they go eat lunch and forget about it. I'm not saying you all do that, but you know. See, we feel convicted, feel close to God, and we have this religious experience. And for many, that's our entire religious experience. God, guilt, and then get on with life. That's it. That's it. And that's not what prayer is all about. That there's a difference in the world. There's, there's all the difference in the world in feeling guilty for something and being accountable to someone. And the relationship that we have with God through prayer and this intimacy is that through prayer, God has given us the opportunity to move into a relationship of accountability with him. And it's not a negative type of accountability. What it is is a kind of accountability where God communicates this. He says, I have a plan for your life. I have a purpose for your life. I have a will for your marriage. And I want you to discover what that is. I want you to discover what my plan, my perfect plan is for you. And he says, I want you to be accountable to me because I love you. I want that relationship. I want a relationship that is personal and intimate. And that won't happen. We know this. I don't have to tell you anything. I'm not telling you anything you'd already know. I'm just reminding you. That won't happen. That personal, intimate relationship will not happen in the rushed routine of the day when we run here, there, and everywhere. Satan's greatest tool in our culture today is busyness. Busyness. We don't take the time to slow down and focus on our relationships. Marriage relationships, children relationships, but even more importantly, our relationship with God. And if you miss this, this main purpose of prayer, you can spend your whole life in church, your whole life going to small group, your whole life doing good things, and you can miss him. And just as it takes time to develop a rapport and a friendship, it can take some time to find that rhythm with God that God wants us to have so we can have that intimate relationship with him. Now, I want to close today by giving you a little acronym that I've used for years to remind me of God's teaching, Jesus' teaching in Scripture. And it really is real simple because I need, I need memory devices. Any of you need memory devices like something to tell you what to do tomorrow? You know, I do. You know, if, if I just depend upon my memory, and it's not because of my age, I'm not that old yet. I know my kids think I'm ancient, but, you know, I'm not that old yet. But the reality is, I haven't lost it all, just part of it, you know. But the reality is, 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 is I need some things to help me to remind me. And so there's this little acronym that I've used for years called, it's just simply four letters, A-C-T-S, ACTS, that I've used for years to remind me of how prayer, God wants me to go to Him in prayer. A-C-T-S is something that I began to use when I was a teenager. I still use it today, not every day, but certain days to remind me, this is what prayer is all about. So let me give you my version of, of ACTS. You may have learned a different one, but uh, it's, it means this. If you want to have this personal, intimate time with God, it doesn't start with asking him stuff. It starts, number one, with A, which means adore or adoration, to adore God. You begin the prayer by adoring God. You praise and worship him. You're going like, well, do I have to sing? No, praise and worship is not singing. 
It can be, but it's not necessarily that. It's focusing our attention upon God. If you want to know, if you want to find a person who really knew how to do this, read some of the Psalms. King David was great at adoration of God. In Hebrews 13, 15, it kind of tells us what it means. It says, therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. So the first thing we do is, if we don't start off by going like, God, here's my laundry list. We start off by saying, God, I adore you because of who you are. Because you love me so much that you put up with me all the time and all my junk. That's what it is. Number two, the C stands for confess. Confess. This is when we confess our sins to God. This may take a while for some of us. You know, if you haven't done it in a while, you might have a long, you might really have, you want to have a laundry list? That could be a long one. And you need to be as specific as possible, not just vague, well, God, God, I confess I'm a sinner. Well, y'all, we're all sinners, okay? Get real with God. I mean, truly, he knows what you're going to say before you say it. But the reality is, is he wants you to say it out loud because that's what confession, confession is not saying I'm sorry I got caught. Confession is saying I'm sorry I did it and I'm not going to do it again. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. A, adore, C, confess. T, thank, thank God, thankfulness. This is where we count our blessings, thanking and praising God for all he has given us and done for us in our lives. Folks, let me tell you, this will change your prayer life if you'll spend some time focusing on thankfulness. So often we just take for granted the things that we have from God. There is nothing that you say, well, I worked hard for it. Well, where did it come from to start with? Okay? Where did it come from to start with? It's, it, if, it, if, it's, if it's physical, if it's, or if it's anything, it came from God because he's the creator of all things. That's what my take on the Bible is. Ephesians 5.20 says, Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, we need to give thanks for all things. Thank him for hearing your prayers, for, for allowing you to, for, for forgiving you for your sins, for his all-consuming love. Thank him for his promises. If you don't know what they are, read scripture and find out what they are. Thankfulness is important. And finally, we get to the part we know about. I call it submission or submit. We submit our, our needs to God. And other people call it intercession. This is the phase of prayer where we come to the Father asking to supply needs for ourselves and others. And, and you know, you, you saw where that was in the list, right? That's number four. Because the, the main purpose of prayer is not just to ask God for stuff. It's about a relationship with him. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And then it says this, tell God what you need. But you're going like, oh, he just said scriptures. He just said he knows what we need before we do it. It's about a relationship. It's about a relationship. And it's about spending that time with God, sharing our heart, pray, pray, uh, pouring our heart out to him. So let me, let me con conclude with this. Remember, remember that prayer is an act of communicating or communing with God. It's about communication. It's about a relationship with the Father, and you use these steps to help you obtain, but then they, you don't feel like you must adhere to any rigid rules. Like I said, I use this every once in a while just to get back on track. 
to help me to stay focused on the purposes of prayer. Because even though I know it, I can really easily slip into the God bless me, help me, thank you, thank me, all these different things. But also, let me share about if it's communication with God and building that relationship, communication is a two-way street, right? It's us talking and God responding. Or God talking and us listening. Now, I will tell you this. I'm not going to get real strange with you. I've never heard God audibly say anything to me. But many times I've said, God told me. How does he tell you? When he tells you, what he does is he, he will tell me through, through his continual relationship with him, he will bring calmness and peace to my life. And he will always, when it's something that I deal with, he will always confirm it with his word. I think all of us want to have a word from God. Because we want, I really believe that we want God to speak into our lives. And the reality is that when I was in Israel, that began to process. And you know something? I learned a hard lesson because recently, you know, I don't know what you pray about a lot. I don't know what you pray about a lot. But even when I intercede, most of my intercession is about my kids. You ever do that? Yeah. I do it all the time. I mean, my kids are 27 and 33. You think they're old enough to figure it out themselves by now. You know, I don't do it anymore, you know? But I pray more than anything. And recently I prayed, you know, and I found even this week I was praying about something specifically with, with, my, with my son. And, and, and my son, is, he got laid off from, uh, lost, lost his job back four months ago. He's in the process. So guess what I'll pray about a lot? And I found myself praying the wrong way, though. Because every time, you know, an opportunity comes up, I'm praying, God, let him have that job. And I'm going like, really? Is that the prayer I should be praying? Or should it be the prayer, if I really desire for God, for him to know God's life, what my prayer should be for my son is this. God, help my son to trust in you through this process to do what only he can do and, do, and let you do only what you can do. And guide him into the right place where he will be the fit that will help him best to be closest to you and build that relationship. He might have a, two opportunities, I don't know. And one might be about the money and one might be about something that might give him a greater direction in life. And so I prayed my, I, the other day, I just said, God, I'm sorry for the way I've been praying. I've been selfish because so often I pray for my kids, help them be safe and happy. And, and I'm going like, no. My greatest desire is to see my son, my daughter, my grandkids, my daughter-in-law, my son-in-law have such a relationship with God that they have this intimacy that in times, the good times and the bad times, that their, their relationship with God is still the same. It can only happen when we get along with God on a regular basis and spend time with Him and we allow Him to have the relationship with us and be open with us the way He wants to. Let me ask you this morning. Do you have a place to get along with God on a regular basis? If you don't, the first place to do, thing to do is to think about where it's going to be and do it. Secondly, do you spend all your time in prayer simply asking God for stuff? He already knows what you need. But you have to trust him enough to allow him to give you what you need, not what you want. Because what you need is, will always be the best for you if 
God is who I believe he is. A loving God who is righteous means he always does what's right in our lives. And that can only happen through a time of communion with God on a regular basis where we focus our attention totally upon him, not just on little running through life things that we do so often. I would challenge you this week, if you don't have those two things in your life, a place and a process like the ACTS to begin to practice those. It will make a humongous difference in your life, in your relationship with God. And like any good habit, spiritual habit, you need to do it on a regular basis. And you need to stick with it regardless of how you feel. Because some days I don't feel like praying. And I don't feel like getting alone with God, but I do it anyway. Because God wants us to have that relationship with him. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your incredible love for us. And I pray that you would allow us this morning to, uh, in a real sense, God, to cast, cast a vision, catch a vision of, of what it means to follow you and to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And God, to come to a place in our lives where we have a regular time with you, God, that we do not allow the busyness of life, Satan's greatest tool, to stop us from having the type of communication that we need to with you, God, and with the people that are closest to us. God, our, our, greatest, thing is, our greatest need in life is not just to simply make money and, and live on this earth. Our, our greatest need, God, is to have a relationship with the God of the universe. Help us to make that the priority in our lives. And help us to learn to love you more, God. And, and that'll only happen through this, this regular process of focusing our attention upon you in such a way, God, that we'll come to know, not only through our prayer time, but through, the, through your word, God, as they come together and merge together, who you are and what you want us to do with our lives. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your desire to have an intimate and personal relationship with us. That you're not just a God who's way out there somewhere, but you're a God who wants to sit with us and listen to us and then talk to us and, and through your word and, and through the prayer time every day. And in doing so, God, you will change our hearts and you'll help us to become the persons you want us to be. And that's the best selves we can be. We ask these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.